like 80, hopefully 90 years old. And, you know, you look back, you're like, you're like, oh man, I ran that like marathon or I did this, et cetera. Like, you're not going to remember like, oh, I shipped that feature on April 17th instead of 18th. Welcome to an episode of Roadmap, a podcast designed for aspiring product managers that wish to break into the industry. I'm Thomas Chu, a student at Cal Berkeley and your host. Today, we have Sean Rezek with us who is the product manager at Vicata, a fast-growing startup. As always, let's start with his background story. Currently, I am the lead uh, product manager for our sensor product line here at Vercata, and I'll be happy to go into that in more detail. But uh, started uh, my career as um, actually in product marketing. So I studied electrical engineering in undergrad, out of college, went to a, to a bigger company doing product marketing. That was kind of a mix between product marketing and product management. Um, just given the industry, that's kind of naturally how, how the two kind of got folded into one another. Um, but got really eager to actually be an engineer. I knew that I wanted to go into product management and eventually start a company. Um, but I felt that I didn't really get to scratch the itch early on in my career um, to really be an engineer. I, I did it during college doing some consulting work, et cetera, but wanted to really have that experience of bringing a product from, you know, basic concept to mass production or bring it to the world. Uh, so I joined a, a, neuros- a very small neuroscience startup in uh, San Francisco, California. Uh, I was the first and only hardware and embedded software engineer there. Um, and we uh, basically built neurostimulation devices. So neurostimulation devices for the consumer. And um, I was able to take this product from prototype to mass production. And that was an amazing experience running uh, all the hardware for the product as well as working on the embedded software side. Uh, but after that, I got kind of eager and excited to go back into product. And I was fortunate enough to, to make the shift over into product management again. And I actually completely shifted away from hardware. Um, I had a love for hardware, uh, love for embedded software, but made a complete shift over to uh, kind of running cloud platforms for a for a business, and you know overseeing everything from uh, cloud infrastructure. We we ran our own infrastructure, so looking at infrastructure, looking at architecture, um, all the way up the stack to UI UX, uh, you know admin facing features, uh, licensing, billing, uh, things like API, GDPR, privacy, security, and had a really really awesome experience working at a you know a, a medium sized startup that was acquired by a larger company. Um, and after that, I always wanted to start my own company. So I had the had the fortune of, uh, I always say my wife letting me quit my job for a little bit to, to kind of pursue this passion of, of starting a company uh, and started a company around doing uh, knowledge management and workplace search. Um, so kind of the idea of how do you, um, how do you just kind of make information more easily accessible and shareable uh, and discoverable within an organization and, and did that for about a year. And uh, happy to dive into that, but long story short, that um, product is still up and running, and we we have some good paying customers, but it wasn't uh, didn't really check all the boxes to continue moving on. And uh, joined Vercata as uh, you know running our sensor product line, so back in the hardware and software kind of mixture of the world of of running a product uh, product line here, and uh, it's been a quite of an exciting ride and. Um, for, for some folks, I think I have a unique background, uh, just how I've kind of gotten in and out of product management over the years. Um, for some, it's kind of tr- a traditional route. Um, for some others, it's non-traditional, but uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't change any of the experiences. It's, I've, I've learned a lot over the years, and uh, I think it's what's made me, hopefully, what I think a decent product manager at this point. So what does Sean's day-to-day life really look like? Yeah, so you know, Vercada product managers are kind of an interesting beast. If you if you kind of uh, look at the rest of what you think of product management in the industry, where uh, we have a very um, like 
it, there's not an even split, but part of the job is go to market. So how do you work with your sales team? How do you go out to customers? How do you work with your channel of bringing your products to market, selling more of your products, better positioning it in the market, you know, you know, exciting, getting your sales team excited to sell your product and, you know, going in on those big customer meetings to close those big deals and uh, work on pricing. So I have a, I have a PL, so I have to focus on, I have to make sure my margins are, are solid. And, you know, that really dictates how we think about, you know, pricing, you know, volume-based pricing or, hey, we want to be strategic about getting into this specific industry or this specific market. So we're willing to, you know, work with the customer and get better, you know, work on pricing and work on value prop and be very much more hands-on. The other side is, you know, okay, we have a product out there. We need to maintain it. We need to build new features for it. So how do we, you know, continue to innovate on the products that we have out there? How do we release new features? How do we tackle technical debt? How do we um, just make our product more scalable? How do we squash bugs? And how do we continue to differentiate ourselves from the from the rest of the um, from the rest of the market? And then there's the other piece of, hey, we want to do new products, right? So uh, no no product management job is fun unless you get to work kind of on new shiny things. And uh, can't say too much about that, but, uh, you know, always looking at how we can, you know, look at new products, see where, you know, get feedback from our customers, look at where the market's going. Where's the market going to be in one year, three years, five years? How can we kind of predict that? Maybe it's, you know, by building new types of software products, or is it maybe building new hardware products and, you know, getting to play around with a lot of like new technology that comes out in the world. It's, it's very fun where, you know, we live in this kind of world where, you know, hardware is no longer kind of, you know, dumb is what you say, right? We have more pot, we have more compute power on the edge. We have machine learning, AI, like what can we, how can we leverage this? How can we provide more value for our customers? So, you know, a lot of my day is, is it, it varies. Um, Monday, like this, this Monday was let's go and whiteboard with our engineering team about a new architecture that we're looking at potentially investing in. Um, how do we think about, you know, investing in like a new cloud architecture, edge architecture, and doing a lot of whiteboarding and planning of like, what's this going to look like? Tuesdays, like, I'm just going to go walk the sales floor, talk to our sales team, talk to our sales leadership. Why aren't we selling more of my product? How can I, how can we sell more of my stuff? How do we get, um, you know, what are customers saying about the free trials we're sending out? Um, and today is, you know, working on some deals of like, hey, how can we be strategic about getting in some of these accounts, listening to customers feedback off of their free trials that they've had or um, so the, the great thing is my, my day changes up by the hour and most product management jobs do. Um, but every kind of day and every hour is like, you know, you kind of have to choose your, your battles of where you want to focus for the day because um, a lot of product management in general is just a lot of context switching. But you try to I try to context switch is like within a category of like go to market engineering, um, like recruiting and these other pieces as well. So I don't uh, have to context switch too much across different domains within a given day. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff going on here at Vercata. We're, we're growing, we're a fast growing company. So small plug, if you're interested, you know, uh, hiring a lot of folks on the product side, the engineering side, sales, everything. Um, so it's a really fun time to, to be at a, uh, kind of this, this, uh, unicorn fast growing startup where there's, uh, I'm learning a ton, having a lot of fun, but, uh, it's been, um, it's just yeah, great experience so far. Just like other good product managers, Sean wear many hats staying and day out. So how did he evolve and learn to pick up those skills along the way? Studying electrical engineering in college, I was much more focused on the hardware side, right? How do we design circuits? How do we do embedded products? How do we, you know, build sensors? How do we, you know, I did a lot of consulting work and we did like, you know, how do we build sensors? How do we build like stuff that's controlled by motors and all of that. And there's always like this embedded software component to it. So there's this, hey, you have a microcontroller or some type of CPU, we need to program that thing. 
Um, so I was by no means a, a great embedded software engineer, but I knew how to write some code. I can, uh, you know, write some basic C and, and all of that and, uh, kind of got my exposure there. And I remember joking, uh, the computer science department was actually separate than the engineering department. I was like, man, those guys, those folks have it so easy. Like I only have 8k of memory. They have like gigabytes of memory. Like that job can't be like that hard. And I, I did HTML and CSS and some like JavaScript growing up, but nothing like, you know, actually building anything like real. So I didn't really have too much context. Um, so yeah, then I went into like, I, so I had that kind of like engineering experience. And then, uh, when I went back to the hardware side, um, hardware and embedded software at the startup, I did a lot more on the embedded side. So I did a lot more on the embedded software side. And that was a really fun experience of like learning how to do like work in a Bluetooth stack working, you know, you're taking all this like sensor data every second or half second and uh, across all these different sensors on a board and um, got a lot of exposure more to the embedded side there, but not a ton to like the cloud side. You know, when we think about like, you know, cloud-based software SaaS, like we had those offerings, but that team was kind of separate and didn't have like a ton of exposure to it. And um, when I got into product, like full, like actual, you know, formally product management and I was only doing cloud-based stuff, it was a huge, huge transition for me. Like I never, I never, well, I started writing Python. So I had to write Python in, in my previous job. So I understood like what, Py, you know, run how to run Python on a server, all of that good stuff. But I never saw anything at scale, right? I didn't see things, you know, deployed across a million nodes, 10 million nodes. Uh, I didn't see like, you know, gigabytes and terabytes of data, you know, stored in an infrastructure, distributed um, types of uh, cloud architectures, never really worked in, I, I did, I knew what React was. I never saw like worked with folks that did like React or, you know, much of, again, the JavaScript and, and things on the back end. So for me, it was just like a learning experience. It was very fun to go in and, you know, having knowledge of how code works in general, like, you know, embedded code and stuff like there's a lot of differences, but at least having that, that your mind being trained that you had some exposure to that, you're able to dive in. I was able to dive in like relatively quickly and understand at least what was, uh, what was going on. And, uh, so I did a lot of that. And then when I started my startup, uh, it's a long story, but eventually I ran like, uh, we had no engineering help and I had to start writing like front end code. So I never, like I've written 10 lines of JavaScript in my life. So I started writing JavaScript again, like not even again, I started learning how to write JavaScript, which I still don't even understand what I did. Uh, react is easier. <laughs> like I understood how to do like react. We did like TypeScript and stuff. That was actually a fun experience, but uh, a lot of it for me was I, um, I was always just very curious and I just was like, never, I never, I knew that I was never going to be the world's best software engineer, the best electrical engineer, hardware engineer. I, I, I knew that pretty early on, but I was very good at being able to pick up things relatively quickly that I didn't know um, because I was always very interested. So I'd always take an engineer and up to a whiteboard and say, hey, whiteboard this out for me. Or, you know, I had GitHub access. So I just like start like perusing through our, our GitHub repo and you know, trying to like make, put pieces together and, you know, just play around so I can work with a, have more intelligent conversations with our engineering team. So it was, um, yeah, there's no, like, there was no time where I dedicated, like, I'm going to go out and learn this language, uh, for my startup, it was out of necessity. Like if I didn't do it, then like nothing was going to get built and the building was going to kind of fall down. Um, for this, for my startup, uh, when I was, uh, embedded engineer, it was like part of the job. <laughs> so I just had to like kind of learn on the fly and Luckily, I had an amazing boss that was extremely intelligent in embedded systems and learned a lot from him. Um, but yeah, I never had an actual like formal software job. Um, it was always electrical and hardware side. And, you know, my career, I've, I've kind of like 
swung the pendulum both ways. Uh, but I feel a lot of it's like transferable. It's the skills and the thought process that's more transferable rather than like I, as a product manager, I know React extremely well, or I know Python extremely well. <clears throat> I don't see that as being like as important, but understanding the technology and understanding like, you know, trade-offs between technology choices, like what's a trade-off between Python and Go, like understanding that like level of detail and having those conversations, I feel like makes, uh, makes for a really good product manager. Sean mentioned that some of the skills are transferable. So what did he learn as a founder that continued to help him as a product manager now, or vice versa? Did the PM experience come up at one point or another that helped him in his journey running a startup? A lot of people have this, like, I want to say consensus, but this like thought that like product managers make really good founders. Um, and the reason why they say that is because you have some level of technical ability. Usually you've worked with engineers in the past. You've built and you've shipped stuff. Uh, you are typically very cross-functional. You work with marketing, your legal team, your sales team, engineering, what you know, name finance, right? Um, so you, you, you've, you've, you maybe necessarily haven't done finance or maybe you haven't done sales, but you have experienced it, right? You've, 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 you know how those folks think, you know how that part of the organization kind of works. And that experience that I had before starting a company, um, was very, it was just very valuable because I understood like what I'm going to have to think about today versus like what I'm going to have to think about in the future. So it's like, I knew that if I wanted to get into, you know, we, we were very cautious about, we were using a lot of data, like we were ingesting companies data, like your Google drive data, your Slack data, whatever it is. So there's inherently like a lot of security things that you have to worry about a lot of like compliance things. So very early on, I knew as a product manager, if I wanted to get this to market, I needed to target folks that didn't like, I wouldn't say care, but like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a checkbox on a spreadsheet to say, Hey, this person is SOC 2 compliant or whatever. Um, so I think it's just generally having that like Jack of all trades as a product manager and getting exposure to actually shipping things and understanding what it takes to ship things. Um, not only from an engineering side, but across a company side, how do you message it? Right. You work a lot as about messaging as a product manager. And that's been really, that was really invaluable for me going into like starting, um, starting a company was just, um, having exposure to all these different areas. Um, what I will say is, uh, building something from zero to one is very, very different than taking something from like one to two to five to 10. Um, so as a, as a coming back into a, a product management role from starting, taking something from zero to one, your perspective is like, wow, this is like, it's not saying it's easier, but it's like, there's something already there. I already have like hundreds of customers to go and talk to. Um, I have this whole team kind of surrounding me and I think that's like, so you're able to like execute on things that you wish you could have executed on as a founder, especially if you know, you only, like, I didn't make it super, super far. Like we got paying customers, which is awesome. Um, but you're like, oh my God, I, for me, it was like, I need feedback. I need feedback on this design. I need feedback on this feature idea. And for us, it was like clawing teeth to try and get phone calls and try to get customers to respond to us versus now we're like, I just go down to our sales floor and be like, I need feedback. And I'm like, this is great. Um, but it, it, what it taught me the going, going from the founder perspective to product is how to be even more scrappy. So when you don't have resources and you don't have the ability to get things done, or like you don't have people to get them done, uh, to help you get them done, like doing it the scrappy way, like, right. We, didn't have as much money. We didn't have as many resources in terms of time and people. So you ultimately just had to get th find a way to get things done. And uh, I became even more scrappy after that. And in this role, I've found a lot of ways to just be scrappy because I've I've known how to do it before. And, and that gave me a lot of like insight. Um, 
So the, I, I feel like they're like two, like usually have a lot of founders that go into product management. Then you have like, you know, product managers that go into founders and vice versa. They kind of like you know, the ones that don't, the product managers that don't really make it in their, their first, uh, their first go ahead, which is me. They typically go back into product and then eventually I'll go back into the, to the full-time startup thing. But, um, you learn a lot. Uh, my advice as a product manager is if you can sell, uh, you know, you're very good at product managers become very good at selling a vision. Hey, this customer wants this thing. Hey, here's our roadmap. This is where we're taking the product. Like they get sold on the vision, but I was bad at, and I still probably not that good is like, I'm not very good at like selling something that doesn't exist. <laughs> and like, that's what you kind of like, but you, you like as a PM with a team, like, you know, it's going to exist in the future. Like, you know, it's possible, right. Versus a, as a founder with a small team and like barely a product that's off the ground, you're like, I'm selling you this thing that doesn't do a whole lot. It solves like this problem, but like, listen to me, we're going to be great in six months. Like, I, I wasn't very good at this. Like I have a, a huge appreciation for sales teams, uh, much, much larger appreciation for sales teams after starting a company is what I'll put it. So uh, if I can suggest like one thing as a PM is like uh, sharpen sales skills. So that's the thing I'm, I'm quite focused on right now. I asked whether he has any advice for aspiring founders. Uh, be ready. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not easy. It was, uh, it was extremely hard. Uh, it was extremely rewarding, uh, in the same way. Um, my advice is find a strong partner. Um, I was fortunate where my wife was amazing listening to me complain and doubt myself every single day. Uh, it doesn't have to be a significant other. It can be a best friend. It can be a person that like, will just like listen to you, like complain and like be a sounding board and like literally listen. So, uh, I know a lot of folks in my network that like had, had that person, be it a, be it a best friend, be it a partner. And that was super helpful. Um, find other entrepreneurs. Um, the great thing is when you start a company, everyone just like wants to like, you, you, you think you're, you're the only one going through it, but like you are literally one of a thousand people going through it or, or, or more. So I found a, a couple friends, a couple people. Um, luckily, one of my good friends started a company the same exact time I did. Um, I met another person and they were like a little bit further ahead of me. Um, so we would all meet, like I'd meet with him weekly. We chat about this crap that's going wrong. He would say, Hey, like, you know, here's some advice. And, uh, we, we worked off one another. So, um, have that strong <clears throat> kind of, it's kind of building that strong community is the first thing. Um, the other piece is have a, have a, like, have a solid idea. Uh, I think is like test that idea, test the problem. Don't think about the idea. Think about the problem. Um, I think a lot of PMs like have like really good, like we all have like really good ideas, but like you have to understand, is it a, is it a problem worth solving and who's, who wants that problem solved and how important is that problem for them? It's pretty, pretty, like, it seems pretty basic, but like we all fail to like, Oh, this great idea. If I did X, Y, Z, then like everyone's going to come and do it. But then people are like, eh, it's not that big of a problem. Like, so I'm not going to give you any money or I'm not going to use the product. Um, and try like have fun. I think is like, I had so much fun and I made sure that even during the stressful days, I, you will learn so much starting a company that you couldn't even imagine that you would have learned. I, uh, I was fortunate where I'd had a bunch of side projects and businesses before I started my company. So like, I knew how to go and set up like QuickBooks. I knew about like how to like kind of run a PNL and set like a basic budget and et cetera. But when you start a company for the first time, you don't realize all these things or you don't have this. But, uh, the time that I took off to, to try and start something, I learned, uh, like, I wouldn't exchange it for the world because the amount of stuff that I learned in a short, very short period of time was way more than I've learned at any company. I'm learning a ton now and I absolutely love it. Um, but it was just the rate of learning because you had to and you had to do everything. 
Um, so just be prepared, um, be prepared. And it's, uh, everything seems like an overnight success, but in reality, it takes a very long time. Moving towards the second part of the episode, I asked Sean to reflect on his career path so far. Will he do anything differently? You know, if I had my way, I'd still be running a company. <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot kind of packed in that. I, I've, a lot of the, you know, in the moment, you kind of realize, like, why am I spending my time doing this? Like, you know, I had a question of should I join a big company or not? You know, is it worth, you know, joining a company that's you know, huge? And, you know, when you're in Silicon Valley, it's all about, oh, small company, small company. And um, I think what was, like, really interesting is joining a bigger company. You get to see things at scale and you get to understand what, like, what customers care about at a certain scale. You get to understand, like, what breaks at scale organizationally from a product perspective and, you actually understand like what fires are, you can kind of predict that like, oh, this is going to be a problem. And like, you know, this is a problem now. So when you start a company or like, yeah, this is going to be a problem if we don't do it this way. So my, like, I guess like generally, um, that was a really good experience. I, I, I thought I was going to regret it, but I, I looking back and like thinking through, through it, it, it was actually really helpful. Um, I had a small consulting company after in college part of me wishes that uh, I would have continued to go with that and not went and got a job. Um, but then I wouldn't have had all these like awesome experiences. I would have met my wife, et cetera. So like, there's not really a regret there, but I, I envy the people who just say, I'm gonna, I'm already like, you know, kind of a poor broke college student. Let's just keep it going and see what happens. Uh, I, I, I wish I, I, I took that risk, um, per se and not, not do it. Um, you know, it's, as, as you get older in certain phases, like it's, it's a little bit harder, um, you know, more obligations, et cetera. But overall, like, I, I think what's been just awesome is I had a lot of internships in college. So I highly encourage doing internships. I had five or six of them. It allowed me to understand what I didn't want to do and what I do, did want to do. Um, but it was also really interesting. Like over the course of my career, I've been able to reflect on experiences that like I never would have thought working in a controls factory, for instance, of like, you know, making uh uh, belts and like machines move to like make fertilizer and dog food would actually be of any value in my career. Cause I'm like, this is the worst job I've ever had. But now in my role, I'm like, Oh my God, like I actually have to like think about this because I talked to a lot of customers in, in manufacturing. I'm like, I can actually kind of relate to them after that, like three month experience. So there's, I think the, the, the thing that I've always been happy looking back that I, I don't regret is I was always very open-minded um, you know, I was, I knew like what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be exposed to, but if an interesting opportunity came, I tried to always grab it. Um, and not, not to say you should jump a job every like six months when a recruiter <laughs> reaches out to you or something, but you know, there's a lot of interesting things that happen over the course of a career. Your career's long. Like I'm still like relatively early compared to a lot of folks. Um, but I think it's always the fact that I was like, willing to take a risk to maybe like take a step back to go forward. Um, and a lot of folks don't tend to like to do that. Um, they just want to continue to go up and up and up. Uh, but sometimes to get a different perspective on things or get a different experience at a bigger company, a smaller company, um, is really helpful. Sean briefly touched upon the question of big companies versus small startups. So I asked a follow-up question to get his insight on this. Yeah, so out of college, I went to a big company. Um, 50,000 people, I think, 40,000, 50,000 people. And I just thought that's what you do. Like, I actually didn't, like, I knew about Silicon Valley. I, I'm from Ohio. Um, 
you know, Silicon Valley is a thing, but not like, you know, the folks that live in, live in the Bay Area and stuff have a little bit different view on it. Um, I, I don't regret it. I think, I think every person should work at a big company at some point in their career, be it like right out of college, be it 10, 20 years in. Uh, it gives you a really interesting perspective on like how just big companies run. And there's a, like people hate on big companies, but they've gotten big because they've been successful. Like you don't have a hundred thousand employee company if you're not doing something right. So you're able to take a lot of those learnings and understand what was done right to get to this point. Like what actually matters at scale? Because at, when you're a small company, you think all these things are going to matter at scale, but they really don't. Or these things actually do matter at scale and these companies aren't doing anything about it. So when you go to a smaller company, you can take those learnings. Um, you know, the flip side is, you know, you got more people, your scope is a bit more, you know, narrow, things move more slowly, usually there's some politics, you can't just say like, ship it, you have to go through like a process, etc. So, you know, we all, like, everyone wants to move fast, everyone wants to ship things in a day and not have to like, you know, take the delay of stuff. But uh, for new college grads, I don't think it matters. I just say at some point in your career, work for a big company. Um, I think the going to a small company, like we have new college grads here. Uh, I've worked with a ton of new college grads um, and it's a great experience. Like, uh, like at our 12 person startup we had uh, that I was at, we had new college grads. I was, I was relatively new in my career as well. And you learn a ton. Like you get to just like have, you, you don't really learn how a company operates because a startup doesn't really like operate like, in a, like it's operates in chaos almost, but you get to, you get exposure to a ton of things. Um, you get to meet a lot of interesting people. You get to move really fast, get to break things. If you make a, if you, if you have a small problem, if you, if you make a small mistake, usually it's like, no one really cares <laughs> like as much or like, it doesn't matter as much versus like, oh, if like Netflix like changes the, if you accidentally put like the Netflix logo as blue instead of red, you're like, that's a whole, like the whole world knows about that. Right. It's a, it's a small mistake or like the thing that happened with HBO max, like a couple weeks ago with the intern, like that's crazy. You know, it's just like something like at a cup at a small startup, everyone's like, ah, eh, whatever. Um, so I think out of college, it's like, it, it depends what you're like aiming to look for. Uh, I think it's, you know, there's compensation is, you know, better at bigger companies, but I, I don't, I say, don't always go after compensation. Um, I've definitely made those trade-offs in my career. It's get the experience, get the exposure. And sometimes getting that exposure earlier on at a smaller company is very valuable depending on what you want to go into. Um, I think from like a product perspective, going into a medium to bigger company out of college is actually really beneficial because you learn from really, really smart people, accomplished people, usually people have been around for a while. So I've learned a ton when I was at my bigger companies, I learned a ton from senior people and have taken that back and those learnings, those experiences back versus if you go to a startup, usually there's not even a PM or it's a, you know, maybe a younger PM or whatever it may be. And like, you're going to learn from that, but like you want to learn maybe something at scale and then bring that back to a smaller company. Um, no right or wrong, but I'm like, I've known people have only worked for startups in their entire career. I've known people that have jumped between the two over time. And uh, I don't think there's anything right or wrong, but I think it's as yeah, going back for the third time, I think working at a big company, a medium sized company, like, you know, 5,000 or like a thousand people is even quite big. Uh, it's a good experience. Let's check out some of the recruiting advice and best practices that Sean offered. Build a good network is the easiest way. I, that's how I got into product management. Like every single PM, resume that I put in went to a straight void until I started networking <laughs> and uh, going to like open, I, you know, it's a little bit different time right now, but going to open houses, going to meetups, meeting PMs and 
I, I've done like a lot of PM meetups and this is advice of don't go up to someone that's in product and say, can you give me a job or an interview? It's like, no, Hey, can we do a podcast together? Hey, I'd love to like go to coffee and chat. Like don't immediately come out with the ask. Cause like, that's just like, I don't know you. I'm not going to refer you. Like I, I don't like, re- I don't refer people that say, Hey, can you refer me to this company or the company that you work? I'm like, I don't like, let's talk. Like, I don't know who you are. So I think like building some level of a network, like, you know, going to these events, chatting with these people, is a great way to kind of get in, get that interview, or at least get the first discussion, right? I think we rely very heavily on uh, recruiters. Every company I've worked for like relies really heavy on referrals, right? They, they really like referrals. It's uh, it kind of de-risks things in in a, in a, in a way. So, oh, advice for any any type of job that you go after, like try to like, build like a little network, and it's it takes a lot of work, but like once you build something up, it it becomes valuable, very valuable over time. Um, you know, follow-ups or after you have an interview, follow-ups are great. Just send, don't send like a lengthy email. Um, to be honest, send like a two-line email and say, hey, it's great chatting with you, Sean. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation about X. Like, look forward to hearing next steps done. Like, do like I, everyone, I, even even I do it, but it's, if you overthink every like word that you put in an email, just send a basic email. It's it's all, it's fine. Uh, no one's like, you're not gonna change someone's mind by providing a very compelling uh, interview uh, or a response after an interview. But for the interview itself, I think um, I, I'm not great here. Um, I've definitely read all the PM books, um, like the yeah, master cracking the PM interview, reading all the blog posts, and like you know putting all the list like the list of questions out on a Google Doc and like answering all the questions. I think my advice there is like there's really this thing about ma- there's like a matrix, right? I think in the cracking the PM interview, it's like find like have like two or three examples of like projects or products or something that you launched or worked on and like show like have an example of how you showed leadership there how you overcame a hurdle how you worked with engineering and how you did like these two other things right but don't say like oh like always have an example for each one of those because those are the basic questions you're probably going to get asked um but if you have a personal experience like you were a pm before you worked on a project before like, just know it, just know it is, is what I have to say. Um, and yeah, that's like, I think it's, you know, feel confident. Um, everyone's always nervous before interviews, uh, feel confident and just like be personable, like, you know, be open, have, have fun. I don't like, you always try to say have fun, but I've learned, uh, when I went on this round of like interviews after my company, I just, I don't know, I had fun. I was like, Oh, let's, uh, let's uh, you, you, uh, over time in your career, I think you like things become you just realize everyone's a human. <laughs> I think that's what one people really like people f- fail to forget is like, we're all human. Uh, we all have like personal lives. We all have friends, we have family, et cetera. Um, like there's some like relatable thing there. Um, and it kind of like relax a little bit from that perspective, but, uh, prep be short, concise. I know like right now I'm like blabbering, but like be short and concise, um, wrap up your answers. Uh, if you read, like I've watched a lot of these like YouTube reviews of like, Oh, like be very precise about like one fourth cup, uh, one fourth cup of like right of like rice, and then like one teaspoon of salt or whatever. I'm like, I I can't do that, and I do not want a job that requires me to do that. Um, I just won't work for that type of company per se. But those interview questions exist. I just I have no advice on those. Rather than good luck. Sean is fairly technical, but what about the folks that are not coming from a technical background? The answer is it depends. It depends on the organization and how they structure the product organization, what they expect from their product managers. Um, for example, like I, I see there's three types of product managers. Um, 
One is a very technical product manager. They were probably a software engineer at some point in time for a long period of time. They made the transition over. So if they really wanted to, they can go in and dive in and write the code themselves, or they can, you know, do some, you know, basic stuff themselves. And um, those are, you know, th there's a lot of those. And those typically come from like a software engineering background or a very you know, technical background. Then there's the folks that probably went to business school don't have a technical degree or had a technical degree, did it for a little bit, but wanted to get the business side. So they went to business school and they are very, very business focused. They say, engineering, we need to go out and build this feature. I don't care how it works. Go figure it out. Like we're not going to whiteboard anything. And some organizations really like that because they want a product market, a product manager that is much more go to market focused and that's okay. But that's depends on the organization. And then you have your folks in the middle, right? Some folks that like will split their time between, Hey, I'm going to do a lot of go to market stuff because I have exposure to that. I really like doing that. I have a strength in that, but I can also have like hold that conversation with engineers, right? Like I can go up to a whiteboard and I can, you know, start whiteboarding out some, you know, architecture diagrams or like literally blocks with lines and like saying, Hey, if we have like, if we use this, you know, if we use this like AWS service, you know, I don't need to know everything about it, but I need to know what the AWS service does. Or, hey, we're going to choose, we're choosing between a SQL and a NoSQL database. Or, like, understanding, like, what that, what cho those choices have an impact on the customer in long term, I think is really invaluable. Like, I, I, and that's how I've always built relationships with engineers. Because some of the times, the challenge is when you have that really, really technical background and you go into product, you basically tell engineers how to do their job. They're like, you're like, I've done this before. Like, this is how you should do it. Just go and build it. Like, don't, like listen to me. Then like you build a really bad rapport with your engineers. I had the luxury of like, I was an engineer, but I've never, I never like wrote a line of like Ruby or React or anything in my life. So like, I can literally not tell them how to do their job, but I understood the fundamentals of it. So I can have intelligent conversations where an engineer comes up to me and they're saying, Hey, we hit this roadblock, right? I'm like, okay, what are our three choices? Or like, what are the two choices? What's the roadblock? And we can whiteboard it out and we can have that intelligent conversation. And I can say, okay, I understand the trade-off from the engineering side. Here's the trade-off on the customer side. So you can build that healthy kind of balance between the two because ultimately what it comes down to is trade-offs, right? You're like, you don't want to over-engineer everything, but you don't want to under-engineer things. And like, you can build the most technical, like best thing in the world, but like, then you're going to take six months to get it out or 12 months to get it out. So for folks that don't have like the technical the technical background uh, again it goes back to like what that organization is looking for right are they like hey like you need to understand what aws is and you need to understand like what a web app and ios app is and like that's you can learn that relatively quickly um and that works for like i think a lot more like consumer type organizations like folks that are much more b2c in the b2b space um in smaller companies um I think there's a lot of value having that level of like technical knowledge, at least not like the thing that I've done it, but the fact is like, I can understand it. I can have that conversation and, and, you know, just, I can dive into a white paper and learn about a new technology and like bring it up to the engineering team. That's really helpful. But then when you get like these like larger, larger scale businesses and you, you move up or whatever, and you move further away from the engineering and the tech, then it's like much more like, Hey, I need to be much more business focused. I need to be much more go to market focused. So for new college grads, I, um, I've interviewed a lot of interns, uh, a lot of new college grads for internships uh, or college uh, folks in college for internships, new college grads for like associate PMs in, in my career. And the, I, um, I am always looking for someone should have some understanding of, oh, I, I hate the term, but like how the sausage is made. So when I ask you, you built this web app in college or you worked on this and you know, you're in a previous internship, how was it built? 
talk to me about this. Like, I don't need to know exactly like down to the, every single database, or, like every microservice that you use, but I want to know that you understand that you use microservices. And so I can ask you, okay, what were some of the trade-offs of those micro, like did those inherently have any challenges um, when you built out a microservice architecture versus doing a monolith architecture or, Hey, why did you guys choose, um, you know, TypeScript? Like, what do you think the value for you guys was like, do, using like TypeScript over React? Like what are some of the benefits there? Um, I just like, I, they don't always have to have the right answer, but I like to think how, like, I'd like to know that they like think about it. Um, so I, I always, I always, I'm, I'm biased, right? I was an engineer. I was not the world's best engineer, but I have some level of like technical knowledge. And I always feel that it's, it's, you build really good relationships with engineers having some level, like we can have those conversations and, um, don't, you don't tell engineers what to do, <laughs> which is uh, point number one on my product management list of things. Shaw has his unique perspective on what question to ask and what traits to look for. So let's dive even deeper to learn about his view on the interview process as a whole. I've interviewed for a lot of PM roles. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of PMs and there are two types of product interviews, um, if I can boil it down. And then there's a, there's a middle ground, but there are some product interviews that are very theoretical, right? I like what you read on like cracking the PM interview, um, those types of books and all the articles and stuff. It's like very theoretical. It's like, you know, build like design me an alarm clock for the blind. Oh, like how many people are in this building? Oh, how would you redesign the TSA checkout line? You know, et cetera. And then there's the other interviews of, Hey, this is your experience. Let's talk, let's talk me through that experience. Okay. I'm going to really dive in and say, okay, I want to know, about this product that you built, tell me, like, I have like 10 questions about that. And I am assessing how you think about that, like how you thought about where you went right, where you went wrong, what you would have changed, what were some of the trade-offs, et cetera. So I always, what I've seen in my career is those are the two different types of interviews. And then some, like some interviews will be very focused on, Hey, this is like what you've done. Like, let's talk through that. And then there's like some like theoretical questions like in the mixture. And then some interviews, which I've seen at like a lot of like bang companies is like very much like less of what you've done, more of like, let's talk about a bunch of like theoretical things and like, you know, et cetera. Like, tell me about your favorite product and what are the three things that you're going to change about it? And I've been through enough of those interviews where I don't know, I, I don't see the, like I, there's value, but I don't think that really tells people a lot. Like it tells people uh, stuff, but not enough. So going back, I think I've always done a really good job of articulating myself in interviews and seeing other people articulate themselves in interviews when they reflect on past experiences, right? So like, hey, I was actually doing this thing so I can tell you everything that went wrong and I can tell you what I would have done differently. I could tell you everything that went right or like why this was a great decision or not versus if I give you a hypothetical of like, oh, you're choosing between like, you know, a brown egg and a white egg like what are the trade-offs i don't like some some random question versus hey it looks like you guys went to market with this product you got like five users your first six months like what went wrong like what did you try and do and it's been interesting where i've been most impressed with college students um that did something in college that like try to build a business try to build a product either like with a group of people by themselves or some class project because I just want to know everything about that. And like, it doesn't have to be like successful. It doesn't say like, oh, I made a million dollars off of it. If you made like 10 bucks, that's extreme. Like, how did you make the 10 bucks? And like, what were the features? What were the trade-offs? And as an individual, you should be more confident because you have that experience. Like you, you, you literally were doing it versus thinking about the theoretical. Um, so I don't know how well this answers your question, but I think the, the thing that I've always, that I always go back to when 
I have engineers come to me and say, how do I make the transition? When I have college students say, how do I get into product management? Try and build something like take, take, Hey, I took 500 bucks or 200. Like, how, if you have a hundred bucks in college, right. Try and build something with a hundred bucks. Like, and like, you can like, you have a hundred bucks. Like you make a ton of trade-offs. You try to get scrappy and that's what we're looking for. Like, right. We want you product managers need to be able to find ways to break down walls. You're always resource constrained. You're resource constrained by your time. You're resource constrained. Cause you don't have enough engineers. You're resource constrained. Cause like the product marketer doesn't want to like, has like 18 things to do and they don't care about you as much. So you're always resource constrained. So it's really interesting to say, Hey, I try to bootstrap this thing or I had a hundred bucks. And like, this is what I did. And I'm going to get really, I, I hate, like, I feel old saying this jazzed or whatever of like, let's talk about that versus like, you know, I think there's like, there are some interesting questions of like, Oh, how, like, how do you think about trade-offs of like, Hey, like design, like a ride sharing service, um, like a bike sharing service. So do you do dock versus dockless? And like, think about the trade-offs that way. Um, but I'm like always just very interested in diving into people's past experiences. I think that's, uh, the very telling of how people reflect and how they think about things. Um, so advice is get together with a friend or two or by yourself and start a website or something, you know, there's, uh, if you're not technical, there's enough no code apps out there to like throw something together. Right. Like I threw together like a job, uh, what do you call those? Like the, um, like a job board in like an afternoon, uh, when I was taking a little bit of a break and like, that was fun. I didn't write any code for it. I just like paid 10 bucks and had it. So from the point of view of an interviewer, is there any red flags that folks should keep in mind? When they don't answer the question, and I think I've been doing this on this interview, but I think it's a little different. Uh, when they don't answer the question, like they're like, you can tell when people have a canned response to a question that is similar, but different. Like it's not, it's similar, but not the same. It's like same, but not. And then like they completely blow over. Um, when uh, interviewers like over inflate the truth a bit. Um, so I've definitely caught people where like I did the 15 things to launch this feature or this product. And I'm like, I don't know. I, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Like, tell me more about this. They're like, Oh, well, and they give this like whole excuse. I'm just like, okay, well, like it's not like a completely over, but I'm like, you know, you want to show that like you've worked with other people like, Hey, like I owned this, like I own 40% of this. And then like, I worked with this other person and that shows like influence and leadership of like, Hey, like, yeah, I, I spearheaded this, but like also other people worked on, I was able to like work with those folks. Um, people that go on, like I've in a 30 minute interview, I asked the first question, it's 20 minutes, a 20 minute answer. And I'm just like, Nope. <laughs> like, uh, that's, that's that. Um, other than that, I, I try to be like, well, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. People are nervous and, and that, but, uh, I think, and like when I ask follow-up questions and they still don't answer the question is like, just, I guess more annoying than anything. Jumping into the last part of the episode. Let's start with the resources that Sean recommended for us. When I started looking into product management, um, there's this individual uh, named Ken Norton. Uh, he used to be a, he, I think he built Google Docs uh, or Google Calendar, and he now is VP of product at, at Figma. Um, KenNorton.com, he wrote a series of very good blog posts about being a PM, books for PMs, Etc. And he just started a Substack like three months ago. So he took a, like a five-year hiatus and then started back. Um, so he, I just really like his content. It's very real. It's not fluffy. It's like straight to the point. It's quick reads. And I learned a lot, like just reading that stuff. And Ken Norton, if you ever listen to this, maybe like respond to my email from seven years ago when I wanted to meet up. 
Um, I'd love to meet the guy in person. I've, I've heard he's great. Um, so I, I think that's a really good place to start. Like there's like some really good content there. He has some really good book, like all the books that he recommends I've read, like uh, only the paranoid survive high output management. I'm a big, like Andy Grove fan from Intel. Um, uh, oh man. What's the, uh, what's the, uh, Clayton Christensen book? Uh, the one about, oh man. Anyways, uh, I'll, 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 I'll message it to you and put it in the show notes or something. I forgot that it's like my favorite book and I can't even remember the name off the top of my head. Um, then I have two other pieces of advice. Um, that I've found like successful, like helped me in my career so far is always stay curious and uh, like always like think of why, like why things are this uh, question, like why are things a certain way? Because a lot of times people don't have an answer. You just think of that. Um, my wife hits uh, kind of gets frustrated sometimes where we're just out and about and I like stare off into the abyss and I don't respond. Cause I'm just thinking like asking myself like, Oh, why, like, why did someone design a bridge this way? Or like, why is there, like, why do they have to be like 18 sensors in a ceiling? Or, you know, I just ask why. And like, I've always been like, very curious of like how things are built, and, like why things are the way they are. And then you just get curious. It makes you a better PM. And maybe you're like, wait, why? Like truly, like, why is something this way? Then you can go build something to, to solve that. And it becomes fun. Um, and then the third one is uh, stay on top of mental health and fitness. Uh, I, I, I have a strong correlation between uh, fitness and mental health. I uh, personally, I, I uh, dedicate a, a period of time of my day every day to make sure that I do some level, like some uh, piece of physical activity. And if someone wants to meet me during that time, I, I literally say no, um, because I think it, ultimately physical and mental health are just very important. Um, so spend time, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know when you're like 80, hopefully 90 years old. And, you know, you look back, you're like, you're like, oh man, I ran that like marathon or I did this, et cetera. Like, you're not going to remember like, oh, I shipped that feature on April 17th instead of like April, like 18th. No one's going to remember that. I mean, if you do kudos, but like, uh, I think it's very important to like take time for yourself. I, I think you can get caught up as a PM in any role in any part of your career. Um, I get, yeah. Like I, 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 I'm a joke around the office of like, people know me for what I do and that's fine. Um, I just, it's for me, it's like, it's how I mentally de-stress, um, for my work day. And that's like, makes like, I'm better like doing that than like sitting and browsing the internet and trying to like pick myself back up for motivation. So, uh, those three things I would say. Last but not the least is the question that I asked everyone. What mediocre superpower do you wish to have? Yeah, uh, I don't know if this is like a superpower, but I want to be like super flexible. Um, I, I'm not flexible at all, and it causes me a lot of like injuries and pain. Uh, and as you get older, it's like worse. Um, I, I would like just be like really, really flexible. Like every time like, I like look at someone doing yoga, or I take a yoga class, or I and like looking out in the park and people are doing like crazy stuff. Like I think that's a superpower, and it's like an achievable like superpower. Um, but who wants to stretch for an hour a day? I just want the ability to touch my toes without having to do the work, to be honest. So uh, I'd probably go for that. Where can you find Sean on the internet? Yeah, you know, I used to do the Twitter thing for a while. Don't really do it too much anymore. Um, you can find, I, I have a website, seanrazik.com. I actually blog a lot about my transition from uh, engineering into product. So I have a whole kind of series around that. Uh, you can find my LinkedIn there. You can find my contact information it's like sean at seanrazik.com just shoot me an email i don't care um i'm pretty responsive to that um always happy i'm very like i actually spend a lot of time with engineers to help them transition into product or like kind of help them start thinking about it so uh open to doing that for for folks here as well 
Um, but yeah, I'm not like a big, I actually don't do social media. I, I tried Twitter because I like had a company and apparently that was the thing you're supposed to do. But um, Twitter is a, becomes a toxic place sometimes. So I, I've kind of stopped. For the ones listening, thank you so much for tuning in with us. The books and resources mentioned in the episode will be attached in the show notes on the landing page. Feel free to check it out, subscribe, or leave a comment so that I can improve and produce better content for you. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you next time.